The Hot Four podcast this week is proudly sponsored by Chris Malt. Since 1870, Crisp has been producing the finest malt at Great Ribera in Norfolk. With five maltings located in the best barley growing areas in the UK, they produce a wide range of malts and non-malted cereals in 25 kilogram sacks for craft brewers and distillers all over the world. They still work one of the last remaining floor maltings in England and use it to make their pioneering heritage malts. They also craft roasted and crystal malts of unprecedented quality on their vertical all-electric tower roasting plants, the only one of its kind in the UK. Check out their website for more information about their range of malts and also their educational blogs and webinars too at chrismalt.com. That's chrismalt.com. I'm Nick Law. And you're listening to the Hop Forward Podcast, getting you ahead in the brewing and beer business. Hop Forward is a weekly podcast dedicated to the craft beer industry, featuring interviews, discussions and stories from the whole brewing supply chain from grain to glass. So grab yourself a glass, pour yourself a beer and get ready to hop forward in the brewing and beer business. Let's do this thing, Hop Forward Podcast. Hello, welcome yet again to another episode of the Hot Four Podcast. Uh, I'm doing a level with you straight off the bat. This week is geared up more towards home brewers and aspiring pro brewers. So if that's not for you, then do feel free to skip this episode. If you like being there, done that, bought the t-shirt. But I do feel like you'll be missing out because I think this is a great discussion I've had, regardless whether you're a home brewer, aspiring pro brewer, or you've been digging out mash tons for the last 30 years. So in light of today's episode, I just want to talk a little bit about my journey and where I'm at right now. So I'm, I'm sat in my cellar. And to be honest with you, I almost toyed with doing a screen test with my camera of what the Hot Forward podcast might be like as a YouTube channel. But you know what? I've got enough going on in my life without throwing YouTube into the mix as well as a weekly podcast. And believe me, running a weekly podcast is a lot of work. Um, so, you know, and I have the perfect face for radio. So you just have to use your imagination. Anyway, in 2014, I dreamed of having a nano brewery in my cellar. I'm not entirely sure what I was thinking now that I have one here. Um, I started Emmanuel's, which is my brewery from my house. To contextualize it, I live in a terraced house in Sheffield. It's not huge, but you know, that's how a lot of people start their brewing journey, as I'm sure you'll hear today. And you've heard about from many people, Verdant, Northern Monk, and all the rest of them alike. Um, I did that for a while, and people said, You know, your beers are really good. You need to sell these. I was like, Yeah, okay, that sounds like something that I could do. But then, you know, how do you do that as a home brewer? And something I discovered really quickly was at the time, and we're only getting back to 2015, there was little to no information out there for people like me wanting to start breweries. Now there's a whole plethora of information. Partly this is why I started the podcast even to be able to invest in people that want to do that and to be able to increase the knowledge of people who've been working in the industry for a long time. Um, but at the time there was just like practically nothing. So I had to really fudge my way through it. And I ended up getting a job with the Sheffield Brewery Company for a while. And I learned a lot in that place about brewing a business. It was like out of the frying pan into the fire in lots of ways. And to cut, and 
inordinately long story short, I left there in the latter half of 2018 um, for various reasons, partly family and partly because, you know, Emmanuel's was the thing that I really wanted to do. And it didn't kind of feel like it was working out while working there, um, you know, which is understandable. So I left. But at the same time, I started having this idea of starting something called Hot Forward, which could be a podcast and training and education for brewers and the brewing industry and, um, you know, a way to help people to, as the strap line goes, get people ahead in the brewing and beer business and to bring those business skills and my other skills, you know, things that I brought to the Sheffield Brewery Company, like branding and marketing and to help people with those, which is what I've been doing ever since. But that brewing book never really went away. So I set up Emmanuel's here in my cellar because this was the only space I had available to me. And when you're starting a brewery, going in at a small level, it's kind of hard to take out a unit because there's a massive overhead. And I was like, well, you know, I can do it in my cellar. Why not do it in my cellar? And that's what I've done. So, you know, things have changed a lot over time, some for the better and some for the worse, you know, for someone like me and for today's guest, or maybe even for you, um, with the position you're in, if, if you're thinking of starting your own brewery or in that process or you're very small, um, you know, there's so much better technology now, even than when I started brewing uh, back in 2014. So much more knowledge out there. There's there's more freedom to be creative. There's more experience. There's more openness to people taking your beers and stuff if they're good. It's just there are so many great opportunities as a result of what's happened and it's happening in craft beer. But in a lot of ways, it's a lot harder. Like in 2015, when I got my license, there weren't that many breweries out there in the UK. Obviously, there, you know, there are a fair few, but nowhere near the amount there are now. And I was starting Emmanuel's as a brand and a business and a brewery around the same time that Northern Monk started. And Verdant and some of the other breweries that come to mind. You know, and it's crazy to think that I was doing that back then when those guys just started doing it. Um, but now, you know, it's it's much more difficult. It's not impossible, but it's more difficult to enter the market because beer quality is better than ever before. Branding's come a long way. It's harder to be unique. And it's just as expensive, if not more expensive, to be setting up a brewery when there are less tap lines, less cask sales because of the pandemic more logistical challenges, raw materials are going up. We've got this duty hike that's due any day now in the UK. You know, it's it's difficult. It's hard work. And the advice usually is, even back when I started, but probably more so now, like don't start a brewery, become an accountant. But there's good reason those accountants are leaving the city to start microbreweries. You know, it's it's people catch the bug, don't they? The balance of science and art, as John Keeling says, who's a guest on the next episode of the Hot Four podcast. I'll tell you more about that in a short while. And there's one thing that homebrewers have that maybe commercial brewers have lost over a period of time. A great big bushy beard! <laughs> um, no, that's not true because we all know that a lot of brewers have great big 
bushy beards. Um, no, it's a passion. You know, it's it's that kind of um, what is it? What they say that you're unconsciously incompetent when you first start. You don't know what you don't know, and so you have that zeal and that wide-eyed wonder. The same zeal and wide-eyed wonder I had in 2014 about starting my own brewery, and you're kind of unhindered by it, and that passion really comes through. So I usually say to people when they're like, oh, "I'm going to start my own brewery," I usually say, "Go for it." Do it with your eyes wide open, listen to this podcast, as well as obviously, you know, other great podcasts out there and reading materials and stuff. But like, go for it. Why shouldn't you? You know, like there are loads of new bands out there. If you, if you think about it, there are loads of bands on Spotify. I mean, there really are. Anyone can write and record and upload an album to Spotify and Apple Music and all those streaming platforms. And you can get totally lost in a world of music, music that, you may never have heard before and probably most of which you will never hear or experience but someone out there's got to write the next hit tune or write a song that really resonates with you and it's like that with brewers you know there's a new wave of home brewers even now who are turning their hand to brewing often learning from what hasn't worked with their contemporaries and setting course accordingly and learning through the materials that are out there and boarding the sleep John B for a wild ride. And I think that's amazing. You know, some of these breweries that are established themselves now will be the next breweries who create some really amazing beers that we've not tasted yet. And I really genuinely believe that two of those people are Sam and Fraser from Middle Child Brewing. Now, you probably haven't heard of Middle Child Brewing. I've not heard of them. But I'm confident in several years' time, hopefully not even that long, after tasting their beers, you certainly will. Now, I don't want to give too much away, so I'm going to hand over to them in our discussion about starting a brewery, launching their first beers, and talk about making that leap from home brewing to going pro whilst juggling the day jobs, the family and the like. But I would definitely keep an ear to the ground for these guys the beers I got to sample were absolutely phenomenal beers. And I'm not just saying that because they're listening and they sent me them. They were just utterly fantastic. And you're very lucky because if after this you live in the UK and you fancy trying their beers and coming for a chat with both them and hopefully, fingers crossed with me, because I'll be there, uh, Middle Child Brewery will be at Brewery Market in Twickenham on Saturday the 30th of October for an exclusive tap takeover and first pouring of their beer, Newsflash, a collaboration with Elusive Brewing, who make fantastic beers such as Oregon Trail. And they'll also be pouring some of the beers, including the Wee Heavy and the Sour that we get to drink in this episode. But you can come down Saturday the 30th of October to Brewery Market and, and meet and greet the brewers and... Uh, get to try some elusive brewing beers as well for a joint tap takeover. It's going to be a great event and I hope to see you there. I'm hoping to be there. Fingers crossed if I could make it depending on whether my kids don't get COVID. It kind of feels like all their friends are coming down with COVID and it's just like, please don't get COVID. I really want to go to brewing market and try these beers and meet some people. So if you're around, hopefully I will be. Uh, that's Saturday the 30th of October, brewing market in Twickenham. Right, before I hand over to Sam and Fraser in a conversation we had around this time last week, 
uh, and give you some info on how you can find out more about Hot Forward and this week's sponsor, Chris Malt. Um, I just want to point out there's not going to be an episode of the Hot Forward podcast next week. I'm sorry. You can cry tears now. You can be really sad. You can send me a hate mail on Twitter. Um, but I need a little break for a week. Um, the family's off of school. My wife's a teacher. My kids go to school. Um, so I thought it was a good opportunity to get a bit of time with the family and also go visit Brewery Market. But I promise you the week after the podcast will be back and we've got an absolutely amazing conversation and episode with John Keeling, the former brewing director of Fuller Smith and Turner. If you've heard John talk about beer and brewing before, you'll know that he's a great guy with some great insights and just an all-around good bloke. So I'm really excited about sharing that discussion with you. Honestly, it's a really good episode. But for now, this week's episode is with Sam and Fraser from Middle Child Brewing. And before we hop onto that, here's how you can find out more about the Hot Four podcast. If you like the Hot Forward podcast, then follow us on all the socials at Hot Forward Beers. Subscribe to the show and leave us a review on iTunes and Spotify and all of the good podcasting platforms. And visit our website, hotforward.beer, to connect with us and find out how we can help you get ahead in the brewing and beer business with branding and creative media for breweries, bars, bottle shops and supply chain businesses. The Hot Four podcast this week is proudly sponsored by Chris Malt. Since 1870, Crisp has been producing the finest malt at Great Ribera in Norfolk. With five maltings located in the best barley growing areas in the UK, they produce a wide range of malts and non-malted cereals in 25 kilogram sacks for craft brewers and distillers all over the world. They still work one of the last remaining floor maltings in England and use it to make their pioneering heritage malts. They also craft roasted and crystal malts of unprecedented quality on their vertical all-electric tower roasting plant, the only one of its kind in the UK. Check out their website for more information about their range of malts and also their educational blogs and webinars too at chrismalt.com. That's chrismalt.com. For now, grab a beer and let's crack open today's discussion. So on the Hot Four podcast today, I'm joined by Sam and Fraser from Middle Child Brewing based in, are you Twickenham? Molesy. West Molesy, is near it, Hampton Court. Oh, okay. How far away is that? <laughs> Not far. Okay. Not far. So a of relatively close. Close oh, enough. Okay. Okay. That's cool. I thought you were going to be saying, I don't know, we're in like near Birmingham somewhere. <laughs> um, <laughs> we should have been a bit embarrassing. So cool. Um, so um, you guys want a competition? Well, Sam did. <laughs> yeah, we did, yeah. So um I came fourth. You won a competition and you came fourth. Well, I came fourth, he came first. So <laughs> out of hundred out hundred and fifty people entered, and between the two of us we came first and fourth. Oops. Pretty, pretty good. Awesome. Can, can you tell us? Um because so I know there'll be some people out there being like, who were middle child? Um, but they may have heard of the competition you're involved in. So can you tell us a little bit about the competition, who was involved and just that process? Yeah, so it was a competition set up between uh, Malt Miller and Lucy Superring. Yep. Um, and it was a, essentially a single-style whip beer uh, competition. Uh, like Fraser said, 150 entrants. And um, they, uh, Lucy Brewing had recently um, released a, a whip beer and released the, uh, 
the recipe is a, a is a pack with malt miller. Was that crisp witty? Is that the beer in question? Yes, yeah, that's I, the I one. had that one. That's Andy one. sent me that. So yeah, okay. Yeah, he he obviously Andy. If you know, he for his birthday celebrations, um, he did like five collabs, right, to celebrate his fifth birthday. Yes. Um, one of them was with, with the malt miller, um, and with that in conjunction, they wanted to do a, a homebrew competition. A bit like how Andy got started initially with Elusive, because um, he, he won the competition with the, I think the craft beer company, I think it was, uh, one of the pubs. Bit in his beer got brewed by um, Dark Star, yep. and he got £5,000, and the rest is history. That's Elusive. So he was trying to pay back to the community, really, and wanted to do the same sort of thing to help other brewers out. And... Obviously, it was open to everyone, homebrewers and people wanting to go pro or just homebrewers. But he was hoping someone would win it who would take the plunge and go for it. Yep. Um, so in that respect, it was pretty cool that we were on the point of planning all this anyway. Right, okay. And um, Yeah, and between us, um, we well, between us, we brewed four beers between us because um, we knew we could. Sam was going to put one in, I was going to put one in, but we were just, we brewed two each. And we just decided what was the best beer we could possibly think would would win. So yeah, we put our two beers in, and we came fourth from first. That's amazing. I mean, what what was that like to um, get the phone call from um, Andy and Robert the Malt Miller <laughs> uh, to say that you'd won? Well, he, he he. I was doing the school run at the time, so right. I was driving. Uh, <laughs> what? I was, you what? Can't hear you. <laughs> no. I, was, I was driving back. I had my two young kids in the back, and. Um, uh, kind of phone started going, so I pulled over by the Tesco's and uh, yeah, Zambi. And uh, I think they were uh, probably a little bit merry anyway because they'd just been drinking 150 uh, <laughs> whip beers. Um, and yeah, so it, it kind of took me back a little bit to be honest. Um, so uh, so yeah, I quickly took the kids home, dumped them, and uh, called, called them back. Wow, amazing! So, um, so I mean, just talk us through the process of what happened after that, then. Yeah, so I think. I guess we take it back a, a step. We, you know, Fraser and I decided to, um, you know, launch a brewery about, about nine months before launching the uh, before winning the competition. So we've been working for a process of doing that. Obviously, we've got day jobs and, and kind of it's it's a timing thing. So yep. we've been working a lot on the brand proposition and, and kind of what what we we're going to be doing in the market. Uh, and the competition timing just kind of came in perfectly. Um, and whilst we've been doing it slowly in the background it was really a catalyst to kind of really speed this up and and, and kind of go with it so the timing was fantastic um so from there on we we went down to uh to elusive what was it about two weeks back two weeks ago friday wasn't it yeah yeah, yeah about two weeks back to brew the beer right uh which was fantastic so so got to spend the day with them and yeah fraser fraser and i both brewed at breweries before um but um, yes, we got to spend the day down there, brewed the beer with them, uh, did some packaging as well, other bits and pieces. And uh, yeah, it's ready to be packaged uh, in the next couple of days. Happy days. So w- when you say you've brewed at breweries before, are we talking about you've been commercial brewers or you've, you've been along to com- uh, and brewed with commercial breweries? Or... Yeah, we're, we're, we haven't, we're not commercial brewers. We never have been. Yeah. Um, generally through competitions. I mean, um, well, the, the first beer I ever brewed commercially um, Twickenham Brewery, Twickenham Fine Owls, literally down the road from us. Yep. Um, Stuart Medcalf was a head brewer at the time. Uh, I was buying my grain from him, getting some hops from him. He giving him my beer. As any home brewers, you know, will just force beer on anybody. <laughs> um, and he really, he really liked my beers. He loved my Imperial Stouts. He liked my IPAs and double IPAs. And they were just about to do a launch, a little mini craft range. Um, I think they called it um, 
old hands. Mm. And they released four beers, but he wanted a double IPA in the lineup and he tried mine and he said, I want you to do the recipe for me. So I did a recipe. I did a test, I brewed a test batch. They loved it. Um, and then I went down and brewed that beer with them, um, which was um, is a mosaic and say Galaxy, I think, from memory. No, Azaka. It was going to be Galaxy. Right. They couldn't get it. So we, we put Azaka in there because they're quite similar. But yeah, cracking, cracking beer. So that's the first time I've ever brewed a commercial, my, my recipe on the commercial brewery. Yeah. And how, how did that um, scale up? Because um, I, I know from my experience, because I've, I've come from a similar background where I was a home brewer and then I started working in the commercial brewery and I found that um, the beers of of like my recipes, scaling them up wasn't just a kind of a, a linear thing where it's like, no, oh, well, I've got, you know, 10 grams of hops, so I'm going to use one kilo of yeah. hops. It's just kind of this weird sort of... <laughs> yeah, the hop, hop, hop utilisation, it goes through the roof. <laughs> yep. Yes, it, it completely changes. Yes, the amount of bittering hops that go in is dramatically lower percentage-wise than it would be on a homebrew kit. Yeah. But yeah, obviously talking through with Stuart at Twickenham, we we between us we knew what we needed to do to tweak it, um, to keep the IBUs round about where we needed it. Mm. Um, so yeah, it worked out. What I mean, the beer was amazing. It was really really good. So. Cool. So you, you were about to launch uh, Middle Child Brewing, um, and I mean, just talk us through where you're going to launch and do your first pour of your collab. Um, Newsflash is uh, what it's called. It is, yeah. So we'll be launching at um, um, uh, Brewery Market in Twickenham. Uh, that'll be on the 30th of October, so day before Halloween. Um, so that, that's kind of where the launch event is. It's still still flashing out, final details now. Um, but yeah, so we'll, we'll, yeah, we're, we're, only, yeah, we're only small to start with. We're, we're, we're kind of focused on scaling up over time. Um, but uh, we'll be launching in the local area. So in, in and around kind of Surrey, I guess. Amazing. Well, I'll, 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 I'll do some work with Linda. Uh, from Brewery Market, and I'll I'll certainly be there on that day. So it'd be nice to Fantastic. to meet you in person and and try, try the beer. Um, will, will Elusive Absolutely. be there as well? Are they coming down? I hope so. Kind of TBC, but yeah, fingers right. crossed. Yeah, indeed, I'm, I'm sure they will be. Yeah, yeah. I mean, as well as the the collab beer, which um which will be there, we we brewed three other beers, or we're in the process of having three other beers. One's probably the first uh, beer we did. Once we got licensed as a brewery, we knew we couldn't launch anything. So we brewed a, um, a barrel-aged wee heavy. But we had time to let it mature, sit in the barrel, and then it's ready to be packaged and ready to be launched on that night as well. Oh, is it? Is that what? I, is that this one that that's, I've got here? That's the one you've got there. Well, why, why don't we crack it open? <laughs> what a yeah. perfect segue. To, I mean, so, so tell me about this. I, just, I have to say, um, with running this podcast, I get sent all kinds of beers and stuff through the post. And so I feel a little bit like it's become a bit of a running joke with my um, DHL and DPD drivers. <laughs> and um, the guy knocked on the door today and he, because we've got a bookcase in front of our front door, I have to, and I live in a terrace house, I have to open the window. So he saw me open the window and he just sort of smirks, went, hey, up, Nick, here you go. <laughs> As if it's like, <laughs> he, he, I, I know what I'm delivering. And um, yeah, I was very, very excited when I knew this was coming. So yeah, t- tell me about this. I'm going to open this. Yeah, um, yeah, go for it. And I'm going to pour it. So you, you tell me about the beer as I do. Yeah, well, it, it was obviously it was a, a homebrew recipe, um, which I first brewed a couple of years ago. Uh, the base recipe was given to me by uh, a good friend and another very good homebrewer, Lee Immins, and mm-hmm. he gave me the base recipe, um, which is a pretty simple recipe to be honest. But um, it, it's boiled for uh, for two hours. It's got a long boil, 
the first runnings are taken away. You take four liters of the first runnings and you, they literally boil down to one liter. So really condense them down, get lots of Maillard reactions going on, get all that caramel toffee notes coming through. There's only a tiny percentage of roast barley in there, but a lot of that color is coming over from that long boil. Right. Because it's, um, it's, um, it's actually pours quite brown when you when you pour it. It looks black when it's in the glass. But yeah, exactly. Yeah. If you hold it to the light, it's, it's not black at all. You've got a lot of red notes coming through there. And that, then it went and, and lived in a a, bourbon, a very small bourbon barrel. Um, which Is that what I can see behind you? Us. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so it lived in there for about four months. Um, obviously taking all that lovely vanilla and bourbon notes from the barrel. Oh, but yeah, it's very, it's very decadent. They're very smooth. That's amazing. <laughs> and this is going to be on on the night, right? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I've not booked my tickets yet, but that's going to be my first job tomorrow morning. <laughs> um, wow. Yeah, that 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 smoothness. It is so smooth. Like, because I know, yeah. I know through I've been given like homebrew imperial stouts and stuff before by people, and um, one of one of the things I tend to notice a lot. Um, when people don't have the experience of brewing those big hefty beers, is that you get a lot of alcohol, like boozing yeah, hot, hitting hot you. Fuse, hot fusel alcohols. Yeah. yeah, it just ruins it, doesn't it? Um, particularly when you get like, um, you know, tripels and 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 those kind of beers, quadruples. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I mean, I know in the past that I've had um, quadruples when I brewed them at home taste like that, but the, you don't get any of that with this. You know, if, if I didn't know that was from you guys, I'd be all like, oh, that's an amazing beer from you know, your Dayers or Cloudwater or, or whoever. Um, so, I mean... I'm, I mean, I, I first tasted this, what, about three, four, four years back? Maybe? Yeah, about that. Yeah. Yeah, and it's it's my second favourite beer, um, bar none, uh, commercial or otherwise. It's just f- phenomenal. And, yeah, um, it, it won, it's won, a, it's basically, it's won, I think, two or three gold medals in the homebrew competitions. Um they come, it's got two second best of shows, which is annoying because I wanted to get the first best of shows. <laughs> you, can't, you can't have everything. But yeah, it's like, it's like the key to that beer really is very cool fermentation temperature, lots and lots of yeast. So you, like I say, you're not getting hot solventy alcohols coming through and just give it time to ferment nice and slowly. Yeah. So it's really, really, really clean. Yeah. I but yeah, it's just some toffee flavours I just love on it. I mean, it's... It's, yeah, it's incredible. I mean, t- talk to me more about your barrel. I know, I know this episode for some of our listeners may be more geared up towards the homebrew end because, it, you know, you're, you, you by the looks of your, is that your mash tun I can see just behind you? Or, yeah. Um, it looks a similar size yeah. to, to mine, which is somewhere. It's, it's, yeah. it's, it's yeah. there. So what, about 100 litres maybe? Is that kind of the size? That of... one's only 70. Right. Although we, yeah, we've, we've, we've actually just managed to acquire... Uh, 100 litre mash tun and 100 litre kettle, which what we've been told was it's Verdant's original kit they started out in. Have you just bought that? Yes. Ah, yes. I was inquiring about that very mash tun. Because <laughs> my, my, mine holds eight, 80 litres. Um, so um, when you're trying to make those big, big beefy beers, you yeah. kind of got to either cram it all in there do a double mash or use um, an extract just to bump up the ABV. Um, but yeah, because that beer you got there, there's there's no sugar in that at all. That's all malt. Right. I mean, yeah. Wow. Well done for getting all that in your mash tun. <laughs> <laughs> so I mean, um, 
one of my observations with, with, I guess, brewers doing it on our kind of scale, um, you know, there's some amazing homebrew kit about out there now. I mean, I'm, I've got a SS Brewtech Unitank, you know, and it's just, it is like a small commercial Unitank, you know, so I, yes, can, yeah. I can do all, all, everything the, um, the bigger brewers are, are doing in it, but on a much more condensed scale, which is, again, it's an amazing feat that in a short space of time that something like that has come to market but then you have the challenge when you move up from as i've observed um, both in my own research and trying to upscale this operation or, or breweries that i've worked with in a, a, a consultancy kind of sense um, there's a huge price tag that comes with yeah getting as good equipment as like the uni tank or um yeah. the the can see me you've got behind you but on a commercial scale so like what's for anyone else else out there that's in your position and i suppose in my position from a a brewing perspective where it's like actually you know long term i want to be running a a commercial microbrewery um what sort of planning are you doing at the moment to basically help finance that are you going to just try and grow organically or have you got a plan in place to beg steal and borrow money like what's what's the plan there yeah i mean there's there's a number of things we can be thrashing around i mean we're fortunate in the respect that we we've got initial kit to start on, and we can be producing sort of you know ninety liters plus yeah each week, and that's great. And we're looking, you know, we're acquiring bits and pieces here and there. Um, as we mentioned, the other bits that we purchased recently, we're also looking to to buy a, a separate SS fermenter, which will be a two hundred liter one, uh, hopefully imminently. Um, so the few bits we're we're looking to scale up on, and we can do that in a fairly affordable manner. Yep. You know, we're investing a couple of thousand pounds each. That, you know, that, that's great. Uh, we had some funds from, from winning the competition, which was helpful. Um, and then I think from there on, you know, the plan is really to, to get ourselves out on the market, get on the shelves, um, you know, get ourselves integrated with a few key retailers. And then from there on, at that point, we can scale up. Now, we can stay in the existing footprint that we've got. Probably... Pro, I, I, yeah, I think we can easily get a 400-litre operation in here um, from what we're looking at. Uh, we can brew on that multiple times a week. So we can scale up relatively decently in the same footprint. Yep. And yeah. assuming that all goes well um, and we continue to, you know, because the key thing for us is quality of beer. That is got to be a consistent yeah. thing. We won't compromise on that at all to, to increase sales. So whilst maintaining that, at that point, we will then look to scale up and, and move into kind of some bigger established premises now i would hope that we can do a lot of that organically and there's a few options we're looking at for that but then it may be that we need to seek investment as well um so yeah yeah and, and if yeah. that's the case that, that, that's fine i know um dave from bride Bruco in glasgow um until relatively recently maybe the last couple of years um had a one barrel brewery and like about seven or eight fermenters. And he, he yeah. would just do these amazing beers. And they are, his beers are amazing um, pretty much every day of the week. Uh, you know, whereas he's just upscaled recently. So, um, you know, it, it, it is possible to grow organically for, for sure. You know, it's dif- difficult. Um, in- I, I believe so. And, you know, I, you know, fortunately, I've worked in business for 25 years. So I'm used to running sales service and operations it's kind of been a consistent theme of my career yep. so you know i'm very much looking to to grow this and do it on a good scale but as i said you know not not compromising the quality yep. at all um and if we we you know 
I guess the other thing about what we're looking to do is very much we're not looking to produce a core range of three or four beers that we're turning out time and time again. We want to have fun with this. Yeah, that's part of the beauty of homebrew, right? It's yeah. about trying new things and, and experimenting and playing with things. And we want to be producing new beers all, all the time. And there'll be some old favourites that will get you know, repeated. Yeah, like, like the Wee Heavy, for instance, it's a cracking beer, so why would we not? Um, but yeah, so it's about having fun and we can brew multiple times. That, that's great. So yeah. Awesome. So um, out of interest, I've got to ask while I'm drinking this wee heavy, which is going down very, very quickly. <laughs> um, <laughs> wh- wh- where did you get your barrel from? Uh, that's a bit of a story, that one. Yeah. Um, the the, the dist- distillery is Woodenville, Whis- Woodenville Whiskey in America. Um, and I've been checking out trying to find a, a fairly decent small barrel. Yep. Obviously nothing in the UK at the time. I found this one. In, in the States, direct from the... Because they started out really small and they wanted to get their whiskey on the market quickly. So they, they started out with 30-litre barrels because less contact time, you get the same quality of whiskey in a short period of time yeah. because you've got a smaller barrel, more, more surface area. And then now they're established, they've got the big 200-litre ones. That's what they moved on to. But when they started, it was all the 30-litre little barrels they had. Um, my cousin, um, dad was, or my uncle, was emigrating back to the UK. And I phoned him up and said, Pete, can I stick a barrel in your container when you come over? So said, of course you can. So that second, I ordered it online, got it delivered to him. Um, and then he phoned up about a month later and said, the move's off, we're not coming. Oh, no. <laughs> so it got stuck in his garage. Um, and then that Christmas, um, my cousin went over to America to have Christmas with them. And they didn't take any luggage with them. They had to carry on luggage only. And they brought my barrel back as their checked in luggage. Oh, look at that. <laughs> w- without me even knowing. And I went round there to see them in the new year. And they suddenly said the barrel was sitting on the table. So that's the story from the barrel. Oh, room, so. That's adding to the uh, overall warming effect of this wee heavy. <laughs> <laughs> um, but again, it comes back to what I said earlier, like, um, because I've been searching for barrels and I know that... Um, that there are some on on the market out there in the UK now, um, and again, it, until a few years ago, those options weren't available for for home brewers. Whereas, like I think home brewers now, it's like it's no wonder the quality Spoiled of for choice really. Yeah, well, the, I was discuss who's discussing it with um, uh, Richard and Jenna from Real Drinks today, who have a, a shop in Twickenham as well. Yeah, um, yeah, and and we were talking about the quality of beer. And how the quality of beer brewed by micro brewers and nano brewers now has just skyrocketed because um, f- first because we just got access to better ingredients, better quality equipment, and so on. Yeah. Um, but also in part because there's no excuse now to make subpar beer, and it doesn't wash with the consumer. Um, whether you know you're a, a 100 litre or one barrel set up, um, you know, right up to a 100,000 litre brewery. Um, you know, no, no one going into a shop and, you know, taking a can off. And again, you can can beers in your house, like like evidently you do with your seamer and I do with mine. Put yeah. a label on it, sell it to my local store. Once well, obviously you've got all the right licenses. And no one will know the difference between my beer and a beer from, you know, Signature Brew or 
um, utopian or whoever, because as far as most consumers are concerned, they walk into the shop, they see a label on a can and think, oh, which brewery should I go for? Uh, this utopian brewery that I've never heard of or this middle, middle child brewery that I've never heard of. And then in yep. their minds, they're all quote-unquote microbreweries. Yeah, so um, it's cr- crazy, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, and also, I mean, you, 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 you can, people will buy the beer based on the branding to start with, but it's what's in the can will dictate whether they come back and buy another yeah. one. So you'll sell the initial beer um, but if the quality of the beer is not good, they're not going to come back and buy it from you again. Yep. So the quality has to be at the, the the main thing that we focus on. Yeah. It has to be good. I mean, I'm seriously fussy about my beers, um, which is probably why I've done quite so well in the competitions <laughs> in the past. So, so yeah, I mean, I'm yeah, I just take it to the nth degree, and I just don't want to drink bad. There's, alcohol's not good for you. If I'm putting alcohol in my body, I need to. I, it needs to be good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I get sent quite a lot of beer, probably like you do. Um, and generally, I'll, one sip, if it's not good enough, I just won't. I just drain for it. I yep. just, I'm not putting it in me. I'm, I'm not going to go there. The thing is, there's so many, so much average beer out there. Yeah, um, yeah. You can get it anywhere you go, and you can get it fairly cheap. It's, it's, it's not. It's not interesting. Um, yeah, so I think if you're going to compete, you've got to be got to be putting out good stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I'm also interested to know, um, like, how, how do you guys manage to fit this around your jobs? Because uh, as <laughs> I've experienced both working in a commercial brewery and doing it in my, albeit very, very, very small commercial brewery here in my cellar, um, a brew day here is just as long as a brewer day in the commercial brewery I was working in. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's the same. Yeah. It takes just as long to boil hops, takes just as long to do the runoff and all that sort of stuff. And then cl- cleaning, if anything, is even worse here. Um, so h- how are you guys managing to fit all this in around your jobs? I think there's, I guess, two, I think there's probably two components to it now and it will probably change very shortly in the future uh, as, as we go live. So, you know, for the last kind of nine months, you know, um, Fraser's been focused on the brewing and I've been very much focused on on getting the business going. Yep. Everything from, from kind of licensing to, to branding to websites to, you know, and all these silly things that you don't even think about until you, you start kind of <laughs> enter this rabbit hole. And suddenly your to-do list goes from 10 things to 100 things to 1,000 things. It's crazy. Um, Rabbit hole is the word. <laughs> it really is. That's, that? a, that's a beer name. Yeah. yeah. There you go. Um, so, so, yeah. So, for, for me, you know, my, my, my day job is pretty much nine to five. Um, I've got two young kids. So, so, I see them kind of mornings and evenings. And I either get up super early and I'll start working. I normally get up super early, go for a run about four o'clock in the morning. And then I'll log on and do a couple of hours work then. Or I do it the other way around, and I log on at kind of eight nine o'clock at night. I work for a couple of hours then, so um, it's kind of that balance between um, long days and, and doing the day job. Whereas Fraser, you're doing focusing on the brewing. At the moment. Yeah, I'm lucky that my, my kids are like sixteen and nineteen, so they they can fend for themselves now. So my, my two days off, I'm generally brewing beer, really. So yeah. that's what I was doing anyway. Yeah. So I'm just going to continue doing it, really. And I'm lucky that I'm working for um, a really, really good uh, wine and beer shop in Hampton, just over the river. Oh, nice. Noble Green, Noble Green Wines. So I'm in there. Um, 
I try obviously I, I gave them my beer to try and they were just like falling over themselves how they, like, I said right well whatever you can brew we will take it hmm. just get going pro get your license and we'll stock it get it in we want your beer so that was quite cool to start with knowing that we had a route to market straight away off the bat um, and obviously Linda down at Brewery Market as well who I, I run the homebrew club down there so she's tried my beers yep. so yeah, she, she was keen to come on board as well. And there's two or three other really cool little places locally to us who are going to take it. So we won't have any trouble initially getting the beer out there. But it's, yeah, as you say, it's then just brewing it as quickly as we can, getting bigger kit as quick as we can. Get, the next thing is to get another bigger big, a fermenter twice the size so we can sort of brewing once every two weeks with the big fermenter I've got at the moment. I can brew it every week, once a week, and then get a couple more fermenters and I can brew twice a week. And then we just snowball it from there, in, moving into the garage, expanding it, getting the garage kitted out, proper drainage, and hopefully get a 400-litre kit in the garage. And we just go from there, really. That's, yeah. that's the plan. And I think in probably after we go live in a couple of weeks' time, it will then get to a point where a lot of the the kind of the admin work that's been involved in getting set up will kind of be behind us. At that point, I can then get involved in kind of getting involved with the brewing again, which obviously I've not been able to do as much of. Uh, and then... Um, yeah, I think, I think with yeah, as you say, with the rabbit hole of stuff that that's just needed to happen, um, it's just a case of consistency. So you, you, even if you just get to do ten minutes every single day, you, you just chip away and chip away and chip away, and as long as you just do a little bit every single day, eventually you'll get there. Yeah, uh, yeah, which is what I've been doing. I loved how um, you talked about drainage. You know, I was in Track Bruco in Manchester on Saturday. Um, I was going to meet Dave from a hoppy place, uh, who's a, mm-hmm. based in Windsor. Um, but I arrived a little bit early, um, cause we were meeting at Alphabet Brewing. So I went to Trap Brew Co and for a couple of beers and I sat there admiring their floor, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. you know, it's, it's so sad on one level. But, jealous. Yeah. But have, having, um, worked in a commercial brewery where, which had terrible floors i mean they were i say terrible they were very rustic we're talking like proper wooden beams and you know red brick great aesthetically mm. terrible from a brewing perspective you know i spent most of the time trying to not get hops and wort and all kinds of sminge on those floors um and and now i'm in here you know and like the first thing i did was invest in like some kind of like rubber matting but i have no drainage yeah. as well so like you know i spent you know, a good portion of the other day just cleaning out um the the hop debris from the uni tank because, you know, I, I opened the valve and probably not as slowly as I should have done. And I got a load of dry hops all over the floor and yeast and other crap. And it's yeah. like and you know, all the time I'm like, I wish I had drainage. <laughs> yeah, just hose it away then yeah but it's you know it's it's funny because it's like i think um and again i i get a good mix of um commercial brewers and some beer fans and and some home brewers at this this podcast and it's it's funny how those little things um you know when, when you when you've got an industrial unit and you can splash crap everywhere and then just hose it down you don't think too much about it but at this sort of scale you know it just adds to the length of your brew day if you get something yeah. all over your floor. Yeah. I don't think even if I ended up running a five or ten barrel brewery, which again is not that big, relatively speaking, um, you know, I don't think I'll ever forget 
these experiences. No. You know, and, um, it's, it's, it's the cleanup missions that are the, the, the hardest, don't they? They stay with you. Yeah, yeah. Well, there was one time, um, so the brewery I worked for was called the Sheffield Brewery Company, and it was my, my third brew there. And we had um, our biggest beer at the time was a, a 4.8% um, like golden ale. Um, it was a very cask, quite traditional style brewery. And um, I didn't realise that I'd not drained the mash tun. Now, our brewery was built on a traditional, again, it was a home brewer, a guy called Tim, that set it up. And he set it up like a, a home brewer would with like a traditional tower system. So we had a hot liquor tank right in the top. Then on a mezzanine floor, we had a mash tun which tipped and it all the grain went down a chute. And then yep. on the next level, which was above ground floor, we had the brew kettle with this wooden floor I was describing earlier. And then in the cellar, we had our uh, fermenters and conditioning tanks. And um, this mash tun that tips was great because you could tip it. Most of the malt would go down the chute and you just scrape the rest of it out. Um, and it was it was the envy of most of the other brewers in the city as well because they'd see it and be like, oh, I wish I had that. Um, anyway, I was tipping it and I was like, it's quite heavy. But I was like, you know, it's our biggest beer. I've not brewed commercially before. So maybe it's just the amount of malt that's making it heavy. And then I realised when it got to the tipping point that it was still full of wort and then it all just sort of cascaded out as it sort of tipped, went all over the mezzanine floor got all the malt bags that we kept up there wet, ran oh, onto the, 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 the floor below, then ran into the cellar floor. Oh. And it just, it took like three hours to clean up, honestly. And and then and then when I transferred, because it was such a baking hot day, I couldn't get the work below 26 degrees C. And then I had to drag one of the chillers into the fermenter room across these red bricks, which then shorted the chiller out because the electrics got wet <laughs> and the whole thing i just i remember just thinking why the hell why did i leave my job my former job to come and do this you know i had a desk job it was a creative job why am i doing this so i guess why are you doing this <laughs> got all that time. Well, god, got on, on that basis god knows <laughs> well it, it, it brings a passion isn't it i mean once you go like i say going down that home brewing is a is a is a rabbit hole and once you get down it and you just embrace it you just keep going down and down and down and all 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 i think about is is beer and brewing really is quite sad in many ways but it's just it's i'm really passionate about it and i just i like the looking on people's face when they when they drink your beer and they just look at you and then look at the beer and say did you is that really your beer because they can't quite believe that it's your beer you brewed and that, that is just a priceless feeling. So now I just want more people to drink it. So mm. that's what I want to do. I just want to get it out there. And yeah, it's, it's been uh, for, for both of us, it's been a passion for so long. It, it's kind of like, um, yeah, I guess, I guess we could stay doing the day jobs kind of nine to five and that's fine. But does it give you that, that kind of intrinsic kind of joy in, in what you do? So it's, it's yeah. really about following that passion and creating something. I mean, for me personally, I've helped create and grow businesses for, for a long time now. And they've always been things that I'm not particularly passionate about. Um, so to get the opportunity to do that about something that I genuinely love, um, it's an awesome opportunity. Why would you not? And you know what? If it, if it, all, if it doesn't work out as we plan, it's not the end of the world. No, exactly. Yeah. Well, it's, I mean, it's that old cliche, isn't it? Like nothing ventured, nothing gained, you know. Yeah. Or as um, there's a 
business podcast I listen to with a guy called Rob Moore. It's like if you don't if you don't risk everything, you risk everything. You know, and um I'm like, okay, if I listen through the kind of management speak, yeah, you know, totally. Um, you know, you just you kind of need to just go for it really. Um yeah. so I mean the thing is, I I know we've got great beers. I know they're gonna look great in the packaging. It's really about getting it out there and, and, and getting people the, the opportunity to taste them. And I, I've no doubt we'll be able to sell them. Yeah. So. Brill, well, wh- wh- why don't I crack open this um, very opaque? What is this? <laughs> I-, I can see it's sour it's, and it's five point two. Yes, yeah, it's, it's a Katerina sour. I'm not sure if you if you had one before. I've never uh, had one. It's not going to like. Uh, okay. It's not going to. Uh, with all due respect, it's not going to gush everywhere, is it? No. So if no, I, if no, I no. put it into my mind, no, it, it, it's a kettle sour with mango and passion right. fruit. Um, yeah, it's a style which a BJCP style, which Ooh. is a fairly new one. Um, originated from from um, a town called Catarina in Brazil. That's where the style came from. Smells like a bongo. Um, <laughs> well, for me, it reminds me of um, Solera ice cream. Yes, yes, that's still, yes, totally. Yeah, sorry, keep going. I don't mean to interrupt. Go on. Yeah, so basically it's just a kettle sour. Um, pretty standard wheat, wheat and pills base. Um, but once the sour is been done in secondary there's a load of mango puree and a load of passion fruit puree gone in there definitely looks like um, um, a solero that that does uh, look like liquid liquid solero yeah okay let me taste this so just just for our listeners sake I've, I've not tried any of these before so this is like my actual reaction to this Mm, that's that's really good. Normally, normally I don't like kettle sours because I always think they've got a bit of a tang. But um, I'm not really getting any of that. Obviously, I'm getting a load of mango and passion fruit. And passion yeah. fruit, yeah. Um, that is very good. Well done. <laughs> I can see why you're going to sell. I can see why you're going to sell a lot of beer if you make beers like these. I think one of the great things about that beer as well is is the body that comes through on that, mm. which which you don't always get with with a lot of sours. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, quite 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 light and kind of watery almost in some respects. Yeah, um, yeah. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt, but they they're, they're normally um they are normally quite thin, um, yeah. whereas that is just it is very thick, considering it's five point two percent as well. Mm. Um, wow, very impressed. Yeah, so that that that's not being that's that is on our list of beers to be done. Um, that is a homebrew you've got there, but um, yeah, we've got plenty of people who, you know, Simon Popola. No. Okay. Um, he was he's very big in the homebrewing world. Uh, he is running BrewCon, which is like homebrew convention. All right. Okay. Um, which is happening next month, um, which is going to be awesome. Um, yes, yeah, so at what's the Hackney, what Hackney, uh, I can't remember they moved in this wild thing, card. They? Uh, yeah, I think it's wild, wild card, card yeah. brewery, and there's another opposite over the road, so it's all based out of there. Um, yeah, he he he's down in, in Falmouth now. Um, he runs a little um bar called Lauter, mm-hmm. um, and that was his girlfriend's favorite beer. I took it to a friend had a wedding a couple of years ago, and I they asked me to brew the beer for the wedding, which I did, including some mad grey pails I did for them. Um, and that beer. Simon's girlfriend said, that's my favourite beer in the world ever. And she said to me about six months ago, you need to brew this beer. You're coming down to see us in the summer. You've got to bring that beer down. So I brewed that batch for her when we went down to Falmouth to meet Simon and his mm. girlfriend. So, 
One of but yeah, it is, a, it is a great beer. One of the things I really like about it is obviously you get a huge smack of tropical fruit up front. But right at the end, with because the taste really lingers, you get this wheaty, malty flavour. Um, maybe malt's too much of an extreme, actually. I don't want people to think of Maltesers and, you know, best bitters and stuff. No. But like you get you get this really cereal kind of flavour right at the end, which just really rounds it off. Um, in, mu- in music, I'm a musician as well. I was listening to my, one of my kids playing piano today. She's practising. And um, when you get, if you're in the key of C, when you go from like a dominant fifth, like a G7 to a, a, a C, which is your first chord in the scale, it's called a, a perfect cadence. And it feels like drinking a perfect cadence right at the end of that. It's all like, bum, bum, you know, just, you know, it, it's... um. That's another beer name. There you go, perfect. Perfect hair. Look at that. I should be. Yeah, uh, this, that's, this, that's what we're going to call that beer. We're going to call that beer perfect. Hair. This is twice I've done this today. So I was talking <laughs> again. I was talking to um, the guys from. Um, it was either the guys from Real Drinks or it was John Keeling from Fuller's. I can't remember who it was. I feel like I've done a lot of podcasts today about um, ma- the the term Mountain IPA. That was that was it. it was Real yeah. Drinks, and we was talking yeah. about the term Mountain IPA. And I was like, you know what I'm going to do after this meeting? I'm going to go on. Um, the trademark place. And I'm going to register things like North IPA, South IPA, East <laughs> IPA, and, you know, Northwest IPA. And like, so if anyone ever comes out with some variation of IPA, a little bit like Lagunitas did with the word IPA, I'm going to be like, you can't have that, it's mine. You owe, you owe me a shed load of royalties. And then maybe I can upscale my brewery off the back of that. Sierra Nevada might call something a North IPA. Like, can't use that, Ken Grossman. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. I own the copyright, <laughs> but no, yeah, feel free to use perfect cadence. But um, yeah, yeah t- t- totally. Um, so, I mean, for in terms of like inspiration, because again, linking the whole music thing and and beer as, as a musician, I, I kind of draw a lot of parallels between the two. Um, like, who who do you who inspires you as brewers? Like, when you, when you look at breweries out there, like who are the brewers at the moment? You're thinking, actually, yeah, we really want to make beers as as good as those people. Um, well, locally to us, the ones who I really, really like are Jeffsons. Um, have you come across Jeffsons? I've heard of them, but again, through the yeah. brewery market, I've not tried them. Yeah, yeah, they're, they're literally just down the road in Barnes. But yeah, a couple of guys, really, really good. I've got their, I, they sent some samples into into the shop at Noble Green, and and these beers, we generally get loads of samples, and we and it's generally my job to to go through and evaluate them and decide what we're going to get in. Poor, um, poor and you. They were sitting there. <laughs> yeah, that's a terrible job. Uh, and they were sitting there in the back of the fridge for ages, and I hadn't got around to trying them, and they'd gone out of date as well. So I thought, I'll take them home. I, I've never heard of these people. And I tried this IPA, and I was just astounded by the beer. Mm. Considering it had gone out of date as well, I was thinking, we have to get this beer in. We have to get this beer in. So, yeah, everything they do, they specialize in all the hazy IPAs and double IPAs and pales, or the really, the verdant, soft, Beers. That's what that's their niche that yep. they do, and they do it really, really well. Mm. Yeah. So on that style of it, they're the ones who I really, really look out to at the moment. Yeah, yeah I, I echo echo that on Jefferson's. Um, a brewery I discovered recently, Upfront Brewing, who just did just some fantastic imperial beers, um, and had an imperial goes from them, which was just phenomenal. Mm. Um, 
so I, I'm relatively new to them, but they're kind of just come on my radar on the last month. And I, I've, I've had a couple of their beers now and I thought they were fantastic. Uh, so. Yeah. That's, um, I, I just wanted to jump on a comment you just said there about, um, you know, trying beers that, you know, you sometimes can overlook beers, basically. Um, again, coming back to being sent beers and stuff, sometimes you get sent beers and, and I'll, um, or it's just a combination of either being sent beers or a, a beer subscription box arriving or picking some beers up from somewhere. And I've got a collection of beers and I'll, I'll wade through the ones I think, oh, I want to try that first. And then sometimes I feel like I'm left with maybe some IPAs or whatever. I'm just like, oh, I've got loads of IPAs. I, you know, I don't really fancy that. And then sooner or later, I'm like, I'm going to have to drink that beer because it's been sat there a long time. And then I'll crack it open. I'm like, why did I not drink this beer earlier? It's like it, the, 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 the the label is so understated. The beer style and the ABV seems really like non or anything. Um, and yet it's just a phenomenal beer. Like, you know, it's, it's no thrills and spills, just straight up amazing beer. Um, and it's kind of sad, isn't it? That some, some beers and breweries get overlooks um, or yeah. don't get the press they deserve just because they're yes. not the hype brewery. Yes, exactly. It's difficult as well. There, there are so many breweries emerging all the time. Mm. You, you, you go into any craft beer shop and the, the you're just awash with all these cans that are shouting for your attention. So it's kind of how do you how do you stand out in that marketplace as well is a, a tricky problem I think to crack. So for some of those understated kind of label beers, it, it is kind of, you know, how, how do you get yourself noticed? Yeah. And it's that's that you know that, that's a tough thing, uh, particularly from a branding point of view. So with, with Hot Forward, Hot Forward is my business. So I also do like yeah. branding, marketing, brewery consultancy. You know, just various different things I can turn my hand to to help other people basically get ahead in their brewing businesses. Hence my strap line. Um, and like you know, it it well, just this beer I've got here, I've just randomly hit this up from my stash. So this is from Holy Goat. I don't know if you can see that. I mean, yep. as a piece of artwork, I don't know how much they would have paid to have that designed. It can't have been cheap though, um, because it's it's pretty well illustrated. Now, for a brewery like Holy Goat or um, Abbeydale is probably a good example because they, you know, they have some amazing artwork um, from people like Lewis Ryan on their cans. Like... If they got the money for it, great. It massively helps. But for like mere mortals like you and I, that maybe don't have the money, I'm I'm fortunate because I'm a graphic designer, so I can do it myself. But like for people that don't, you know, it's it's really tough because it's kind of like you only have a certain amount of budget to spend on that kind of thing. Yeah. But it's such a pivotal part of your identity, and it effectively is the new record sleeve, isn't it? every beer you put out it's kind of like you you want um you want the label <clears throat> particularly if you're going for that kind of really bespoke design for each one you, you know you really want it to stand out you do it's uh and again again for you know so for ourselves for example it's um it's a challenge we don't have huge amounts of money to invest in that kind of thing i imagine it's the same for many properties we're we're very fortunate um my, my wife owns a, a brand consultancy she's worked in yeah. branding for yeah. 25 years. Um, so she's essentially um, been uh, building the, the the brand concept along with a, a friend of ours who is um, the owner of a, a design agency. 
uh, called Chickity Creative, who um, essentially, uh, you know, she's worked in the alcohol industry for, again, for a very long time, um, is a very successful designer. And so we're very fortunate to have uh, Lauren and Liz to lean on to, well, they've, they've designed the brand. For yeah, us. yeah. yeah. So, I mean, let, let, let's talk about the brand for a moment. So, I mean, why the name Middle Child? Because, you know, it's it's a little bit like picking band names these days, isn't it? Um, when, when, with your brewery name. So, like, what, what, why the name Middle Child? What does it mean? Uh, well, I'm a middle child. Oh, there you go. <laughs> so, that's the main thing. And I've always had a bit of a slight I mean, rebellious sort of streak. Um, middle Child can be one or two characters. And I'm a slight mischievous one, really. Um, always wanted to stand out, get attention and get in trouble for doing it. Yep. Which is like one of the beers will be called Party on the Naughty Step. <laughs> so, because <laughs> that's why, that's where I generally found myself for quite a long time when I was growing up. <laughs> nice. What kind of style is that going to be? Uh, that's That actually is, it's going to be American Parallel. Yeah, the, the beer we're launching with Elusive is called New Slash. Yep. But when we brew it, when we brew that beer, that will be our core American Pale, and it will be called Party on the Naughty Step. We wanted to keep the, the launch beer with Elusive separate name-wise yep. to this um, for a number of reasons. But yeah, party, that will be yeah, Crossroads. When it was in a homebrew format, it was called Crossroads. I yep. don't ask me why I called it hmm. Crossroads, but it's like some old mo- motel sitcom from the 70s. But yeah, it's a, it's a beer that's five or six gold medals in the past yeah, it, yeah. It, every time it goes in it, it wins probably every single time it's just a classic comp- the malt base is pretty straightforward it's just power malt and munich um centennial classic centennial um with some a mosaic dry dry hop in there yeah it, it's it's a it's, it's a beautiful bit yeah. well you'll you'll you'll, be, you'll get to try Lucy's version of it on the I'm, the yeah, I'm, I'm. I'm looking forward to coming. I'm really looking forward to coming. Um, you know, I mean, I, I think Brew Market's a great place. I've only, I, I, given that I've been working with Linda for about and Dennis for about a year. Um, you know, I've only have, I've only been once because of COVID restrictions and stuff. So when when I knew um, Brew Market was turning three, and yeah. that you guys were going to be there and elusive, we're having a tap takeover as well. I was just like, I've I've got to come down. Unfortunately, all the stars aligned and everything in terms of half term and my Falcons my wife's a teacher in terms of half term and the kids and so on it was like yes I can I can go it's like getting a get out of jail free card you know yeah. yes <laughs> nice. yeah but yeah I mean with, with the middle child brewing thing it's very much about kind of you know playing up on obviously phrase being the middle child I, I'm, a, I'm a youngest child myself um but really giving giving that opportunity to the middle child to to, to shine um mm. Uh, and giving that opportunity, you know, to to a home brewer to come and come up and and, and kind of for us to, to move pro, um, so it's kind of playing up on that and and yeah, giving a moment in the spotlight, really, essentially. Yeah, I'd be interested to know from both of you. I normally round off the podcast with this question, um, you know, and and usually I'm asking people that are you know been in the industry a long time and you know live, eat, and breathe being in the industry, um, but like, wh- where do you see the brewing industry heading? Just from you, your perspective, as as fairly new entrance to it. Well, I think it's I think it's only going to more and more brewers are going to be coming out and opening up all the time, and and like, like any new brewery that opens up, you, I think you ask. I I do a beer live with on Instagram for Noble Green Wine once a month, 
and nearly every brewery I've spoken to, they've all started out from a home brewing background. Yep. And home brewing is really, especially during the COVID pandemic, home brewing's taken off massively. Um, so there's lot, lots and lots of new home brewers out there. And once you once they get bitten by the bug, there's going to be more and more small brewers opening up all over the place. That's really interesting, which isn't I, it? Which I think can only be a good thing, really. Mm. So yeah. I think you learn a lot as a home brewer as well. Oh, you, yeah. You have to brew to style. Yeah. And you, you learn by mistakes, right, in anything in life. And as a home brewer starting out, certainly, you make a lot of mistakes. You know, you, you're cleaning up mess and, and, and all the rest of it. You, you make a good beer, you make a bad beer, and, and you learn. You learn quickly. And therefore, I think a lot of the the smaller microbreweries that, that will be up and coming, they're going to there's going to be some solid ones out there. Well, we're seeing solid ones already, right? Yeah, but I guess that's the thing, isn't it? Because um, you know, the, the first wave of new wave of brewers, if that makes sense, you know, your, your northern monks and all the rest of it, you know, ca- came from home brewing backgrounds. You know, they yeah. they were yeah. all there with their stove pots in their or in their cellars and yeah. so on and so forth, and um, you know, in, in lots of ways, as, as far as the new wave of brewers go, they were the first of the post. Um, but, you know, like, yeah, it's, it's encouraging to hear from a home brewer perspective that there are people still out there home brewing who um, aren't exposed enough to the industry or the, the some of the challenges that running a commercial brewery has that, they want to go for it. I, I I know personally speaking, and I suppose I'm being quite vulnerable saying this on a podcast that people listen to, is what one of the things that has stopped me with Emmanuel's kind of really going for it again is I had all the sort of zeal you have when you first start a brewery back in 2014 of, oh, oh yeah, I'm going to be like those magic rock guys, you know, I'm going to like have this massive brewery and, sell all this beer across Europe or whatever, you know, to then work in a commercial brewery and like having the Mastron experience (laughs) and then some, (laughs) you know, that's not even half of it. And then to, to then like come back here and be kind of like, do I really want all that aggro again? I don't know. And, and so on. And I guess that's what I find encouraging talking to you guys. You know, it, it reminds me why I'm doing what I'm doing not just helping other breweries with some of the skills I've got from a, I guess, a, a creative media and consultancy point of view, but from as a brewer, I'm just kind of like, well, actually, I really like brewing. You know, that's that's why I got into the brewing industry because I I, I see myself as a brewer. I like brewing. Yeah. Um. So it's really encouraging to hear that there are people out there who are home brewers who are thinking, actually, yeah, maybe I could take this hobby of mine, you know, with this awesome equipment that I have from places like the Mont Miller and, you know, start my own business and stuff. I think that's that's amazing. Yeah, and I, th- I think we're fortunate in that, you know, in this day and age now, it, it is a lot easier. We do have much better technology, so we do have much better gear. Um, you know, it is so much easier to start a business and to learn and there, there's content out there to help support you kind of grow and, and all the rest of it, and that's fantastic. Um, what it does do as well is it, it, it makes it easier for kind of average beers to come on the market as well because it is easier for people Mm. um and therefore i think there'll be a kind of there'll be a lot more breweries starting up but it's whether they're good or whether they're great that's that's the difference and it's about making sure that quality is consistent throughout and rather than just producing kind of good good beers but not great beers yeah 
I mean, in in essence, this is why I started the Hot Four podcast because you know I I recognised as somebody when I was coming into the 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 market in the industry that there there was nothing like it at the time. I mean, there are other sort of beer industry related podcasts that are out there now, and there's a wealth of other blogs and all the rest of it. But lit- literally at the time when I was like, I want to set up a commercial brewery, but on a small scale, what do I do? There was there was no information, so I had to like fudge my way through the process of getting all the licenses and stuff. There was only one other brewery in Sheffield that were doing anything remotely like I was doing. And they were so unbelievably cagey about talking to me because I don't know whether they thought I was going to kind of try and steal their thunder or whatever it was. They they just would not open up about... Wow. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Which is really odd given that a lot of the brewing industry... Well, in this industry as well, where there's so much of this industry is is built on relationships, right? Exactly, yeah. yeah. Such yeah. a lovely industry. Yeah, so totally. So, uh, you know, at the time I was just like, oh man, like these guys, they just don't want to talk to me, you know. Whereas like, so I was like, when I left the Sheffield Brewery in um, 2018, I was like, I want to, uh, well, I'd started the idea of the Hot Four podcast before that. It was like 2017 even that I started thinking about it. But I was like, you know, I want there to be a resource for people like me so that people like me don't have to go through some of the shit that people like me have been through. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, um, so, you know, it's, I'm, I'm really encouraged to hear that, you know, you guys are um, getting your um, your brewery together and, um, you know, and that you've got people like Andy from Elusive. Who, Andy really does earn the title of the nice, nicest guy of here, doesn't he? He does. Um, awesome. You know, d- doing it. So, so as we finish off the podcast and I've finished my Solero beer, which was just amazing. Um, how can people find out more about you? Tell them a little bit about the uh, brewery market tap takeover and how can people follow you on all the socials and stuff? Yeah, so um website's currently under development, middlechildbrewing.com. Um, so that will be live uh in the next two weeks. Um, so middlechildbrewing.com. I don't know when this goes out, but um I hope that'll be live soon. Um, we're on Instagram, we're on Facebook, um, so you can follow us at Middle Child Brewing uh, there. Um, and then we've got the launch event at Twickenham, uh, a brewery market in Twickenham on the 30th of October. Um, I'll be honest, details are still being freshed out, so I can't do too much details around that just now. Um, but we'll have, with a fair wind, all four of our beers there, um, ready for people to buy on tap, uh, along with uh, Elusives as well. And um, yeah, it should be a great night. Uh, I think we'll, we'll be doing a bit of a chat whilst we're there as well. Um, so it should be good fun. Yeah, awesome. Well, <sighs> you guys will be there. I'll be there. So um, yeah, come on, come on down. So, Bill, well, yeah, yeah. Thank, thanks for being on the show. No, thanks for having us on, Nick. It's been, been a pleasure. No, I really enjoyed it. Cheers, Nick. Take care. Right, can I get some kind of uh, litter Well, it's that time again at the bar for another week of the Hot Four podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, and all other good platforms. Be sure to visit hotforward.beer to find out how we can help you get ahead in the brewing and beer business. We make your beer look as good as it tastes, and we help you brew up a better business through branding, marketing, and consultancy. Remember to follow us on social media at Hot Forward Beers, and for another week, cheers. Cheers.